Psalm 102 is one of David's prayers. And we know that in this chapter, one of the things we're not going to read, but we find is that God endures forever. I do need to dismiss the children. I kept them in here for Brother Baker, but they don't want to stay in here for me, at least for this one. They can be dismissed, all right? Um, the, we've, we learned that God endures forever, but one of the things that this chapter highlights is that we don't. And I want us to look at seven verses here and just get a little bit of David's, uh, what, what he's, not so much he's burdened about, but just see some of his, his descriptions of what he feels, what he faces. And so let's stand and we'll read the first seven verses. David and if you see the description, if you have underneath your chapter heading, a prayer of the afflicted when he's overwhelmed and pours out his complaint before the Lord. Verse 1, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Hide not thy face from me in the day when I am in trouble. Incline thine ear unto me. In the day when I call, answer me speedily. For my days are consumed like smoke, and my bones are burned as in hearth. My heart is smitten and withered like grass, so that I forget to eat my bread. By reason of the voice of my groaning, my bones cleave to my skin. You see here he speaks of the fleeting of days, smoke, grass, and and just the weight and heaviness that affects his very body and his appetite. But notice verse 6. I'm like a pelican of the wilderness. I'm like an owl of the desert. I watch and am as a sparrow alone upon the housetop. Three birds that are mentioned. The pelican, the owl, and the sparrow. The pelican in the wilderness. Can't you see a pelican standing in the wilderness all alone? An owl in the desert, all alone in the vastness of the desert. As the sparrow is alone on the housetop. Maybe nobody sees him. Maybe no one thinks much about him. But in this we do see some of David's Feelings again, what he's facing, and his evaluation of just this matter of some times of loneliness. And as we looked at last week, dealing with stress, finding success over stress tonight, I want us to look at some lessons on loneliness. Some lessons on loneliness. Thank you. Please be seated. One of the most popular tourist attractions in America is Yellowstone National Park. People from America and around the world love to go there, but there's a particular place in Yellowstone we visited there years ago when we were out in meetings in the West, and, but we didn't make it to this place. It's one of the most adventurous and it's the hardest places for hikers to go. 
It's a place called Thoroughfare Ranger Station. Nick, have you been there? This would be something right up your alley. It's in the southeast corner of the park. If you're a ranger assigned to this station, you will drive about 15 miles from the park. Then you get on horseback and you'll travel 32 miles into the wilderness, which is the shortest route to get to the station. And for a serious hiker, they, they say this is on their bucket list, but why? Well, 25 miles from any road as the raven flies is the thoroughfare ranger station. The closest trail from the road to the center of this point is 32 miles. From the sky, it's a dark spot on the map. I looked at it. And there are no lights there. It's a place where time is measured only by moons and seasons. What is it about this place that's so attractive to hikers? Why would anyone want to go here? Well, it's because it's the most remote place in the lower 48 states. It's the farthest that you can go to get away from it all. It's the only place you can be more than 20 miles from a road. If you want to go somewhere where you'll be alone, they say this is the place. Well, while the thoroughfare ranger station may be the most remote place in the continental United States, the most remote place in the world, however, is the heart of a lonely person. You don't have to look around very long to find lonely people. According to a recent survey, more than three in five Americans say that they are lonely, with more and more people reporting feeling left out, poorly understood, lacking companionship. Loneliness is not on the decline, it's on the rise. The report by a health insurer, Cigna, they found that nearly 13% rise in loneliness has occurred since 2018 when they first conducted the survey. People from all walks of life experience loneliness. Prosperity cannot eliminate it. The richest of people in all the world experience loneliness. One's position cannot stop it. Power cannot dismiss it. Four days before Thanksgiving in 2013 in Rotterdam, Netherlands, construction workers went to an elderly woman's apartment to replace her gas pipes. They rang her doorbell repeatedly without response, and then the police were called and arrived at the scene so that they could get in. And they found a pile of the woman's mail inside the door, and then they noticed that the oldest mail was postmarked from 10 years earlier. As they walked into the apartment, they made the unbelievable discovery. They found a decayed corpse of the woman who had lived there. But sad was the situation that she had been there for 10 years dead. She was alone. The New York Times featured a study on loneliness and declared that our society is experiencing a loneliness epidemic. Feeling alone or left out has become a global epidemic. It is said that 22% of Americans ate dinner alone last night. A Gallup poll says three out of 20 Americans describe themselves as lonely. Loneliness can shorten a person's lifespan by as much as 15 years, says one of the former U.S. Surgeon Generals. 
Dr. Murthy, that Surgeon General, also stated, during my years caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease or diabetes, it was loneliness. One in six baby boomers live alone. One out of two people do not even know their neighbors' names. Generation Z, that's 18 to 22 years old, and millennials, 23 to 37, have the highest rate of loneliness. The crisis of loneliness is as grave a threat to public health as obesity or substance abuse. Research tells us that lonely people are more likely to become ill, experience cognitive decline, and even die earlier. Feeling lonely results in 60% increased risk of functional decline, a 45% greater risk of death. If you battle loneliness, you're also in the company, not just with the man who wrote many of the Psalms, but also others. We saw David, he mentions, I'm like a pelican in the wilderness, an owl in the desert. I'm like a sparrow in the housetop. What's the problem? It's loneliness. But not only did David, a man after God's own heart, struggle with moments of loneliness. Elijah, he too felt so lonely, he wanted to die. Moses struggled with moments of loneliness. Jeremiah, Job, John the Baptist. But not just these men and other women of the Bible, but also Jesus himself. On the cross, he cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I'm just saying that if there are times that you may feel lonely, you're in good company with others who have been great and even the Son of God himself. Loneliness is common to man. And as we're going to discover, loneliness, it can be conquered by Jesus Christ. So let's look at some lessons tonight together on loneliness. First of all, I want us to define loneliness. Let's get an understanding that we can wrap our, our brains around, our hands around. What is loneliness? What does it mean to be lonely? Again, in verse 6 and 7, David prayed, and he's talking about this matter using the, the analogy of these birds that are, that are alone, lonely. Some define loneliness as a state of solitude or being alone. Loneliness is they would describe as a state of mind. But I want to say, I don't think that's the case because loneliness is not solitude. Jesus withdrew into solitude. We need solitude. We need time alone. We'll never grow in grace without some solitude. Jesus himself encouraged his disciples to do so. So loneliness is not solitude. Loneliness is not even isolation. Loneliness, however, is the perception of being alone. It's when one perceives that whether I'm with a crowd in a group or I'm isolated, I'm all alone. Loneliness is not isolation. It is insulation. It's feeling cut off unnoticed, unloved. It is feeling unneeded. Nobody knows me. Nobody loves me. Nobody needs me. Nobody wants me. My life is unnecessary. It has no meaning. That is loneliness. It's the perception of being alone. 
You can be lonely while sitting in this building with people sitting all around you. You can go to the crowdest stadium on Saturday and still feel all alone. Some people are lonely because they want to be lonely. Proverbs 18, 1, through desire, a man having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. Meaning some people just out of selfishness. They avoid friendly relations with people. Their self-centeredness, it removes them from wisdom and sound judgment. We, we would refer to people like this as being loners. But not focusing on that as much as people who have this perception. Loneliness, loneliness does not come from being alone. It comes from feeling alone. There's a schoolboy who got in trouble. I may have gotten the outline wrong. We skipped A. Um, so just change them on your paper if you... If it doesn't look right. In fact, you redo the whole outline if, if you think yours looks better. And you can submit it to me and I'll change mine. Um, the, uh, what's that? It was there. Okay. All right. I just, I've changed it on Brother Cherry a few times today. And I uh, keep um, whittling it down and messing it. I think actually it grew from, um, the, I gave him the shorter one and then he's ended up with the longer one. So, um. I apologize if it's, if it's out of order there. But the schoolboy got expelled from school, got in trouble. And instead of going home and spending his time with his expulsion at home, he stood outside the window of the school and he was throwing pebbles at the rocks to get his classmates' attention. Well, he also got the attention of the principal. And when he was confronted by the principal, he was asked, why are you throwing rocks against the window?" And the little boy said, I just wanted everyone to know that I'm still here. I think if we're honest, many times we'd say we carry pebbles in our own pockets. You know, we just want people to know that we're still here. Loneliness is that painful sense of being unwanted, unneeded, uncared for. Maybe even the thought that I'm unnecessary. The truth is we need human contact. Amen. Truth is we need human companionship. God made us that way. The first thing that God ever said was that it, it was not good for man to be alone. Genesis 2.18, and God prepared for him a help me. And he placed within us the need for someone to love, someone to love us. The, to battle the problem of loneliness successfully, we have to at least identify and understand what loneliness is. Is that perception that I'm alone so that we can get help and understanding in this matter of loneliness. Loneliness can be a feeling of helplessness. That no matter what you do, you're forever going to be lonely. One summer evening, a violent thunderstorm was over, um, overheard by the family and a mother was tucking in her little boy into bed. He kept hearing the lightning and feeling the rumbling of the thunder. Kind of like the earthquake. How many felt the earthquake the other day? And um, Christy said, you hear that? Is that thunder? I said, I don't hear anything. She said, feel it. Don't you feel it? I said, I don't feel anything. And, and then I, and Larry Mooney texted me later about having an earthquake. We had an earthquake. And so, um, you, you know, things are messed up when we're having an earthquake in, in Georgia. And the little boy was scared of that thunder overhead. And, and he said, Mommy, will you sleep with me tonight? 
The mother smiled and gave him a reassuring hug and said, Honey, I can't do that. I have to sleep with your daddy. And he looked up at her with a shaky little voice and he said, That big sissy. <laughs> I believe we all have at least three needs tonight. And see if this is not true. See if you don't agree with this. But I wrote down, I think that everybody, everybody needs somebody to love and somebody to share with intimately. I mean, there's you know, some, some closeness. Everybody needs somebody to love and somebody which they can share with intimately. Number two, everybody needs someone who can understand them. And understand how they feel. Number three, everybody needs to be needed and wanted. It's just, I believe God made us that way. Everybody needs somebody to love. Everybody needs someone who can understand them, number two, and how they feel. And number three, everybody needs to be needed and wanted. And so if we're going to learn some lessons on loneliness and, and really learn how to cope with this emotion, we, we have to define it. And we, we're looking at, at loneliness as not isolation. It's not being alone. It's the perception, the feeling that I'm all alone. There's a difference. Does that make sense? Number two, I want us to, to describe loneliness. That's what I think David is doing in his prayer to God in Psalm 102. I'm like a pelican in the wilderness. I'm like an owl in the desert, like a sparrow alone on the housetop. He's describing the loneliness. And so let's describe, first of all, in this matter of loneliness, let's look at the kinds of loneliness. Sometimes loneliness is in an infrequent state that we all experience. It just passes. It, it comes our way but it doesn't stay with us. Dr. Jeffrey Young of Columbia University describes, however, three kinds of loneliness. I'm not talking about just the passing, because we all experience that from some time um, or another, but, but there are three basic kinds of loneliness. Number one, it's transient loneliness. It lasts anywhere from a few minutes to a few hours, and periodically almost everyone experiences this kind, that's what I was referring to. But number two, it's situational loneliness. And by the way, if we don't learn some things about this matter of loneliness and how to conquer it, this transient loneliness can turn into a situational or can turn into a lingering. But we will all experience this transient, this passing by um, in our life from some time, uh, some degree to another uh, from time to time. Situational loneliness, number two. And this, this results from a significant event. You're lonely because your spouse passes, your best friend moves away, or you move to a different location where you don't know anyone. It's a situational loneliness. But then, then number three is the worst loneliness. It's a chronic loneliness. And this is where people tend to become preoccupied with themselves and with their problems. In effect, they almost determine to be lonely. Dr. Young classifies chronically lonely individuals as people who feel lonely for more than two years apart from a traumatic event. What are the reasons for loneliness? I think one of the reasons for loneliness in, in any of those categories, I know we mentioned the, the situation and the circumstance, 
But a lot of times there's some undergirding reasons outside of a situation or, or crisis or trauma. But one of those reasons is rejection. People have experienced rejection. I think it was Mark Twain who said that a cat that sits on a hot stove is only going to do it once because they recognize this thing's hot. And people who experience rejection, many times they position themselves so that they don't get put in a situation where they can be rejected again. But what happens is they miss out on much of life. If Jesus only positioned himself so that he would not be rejected, he would never be your savior. You can't just isolate and go into a, a protection mode because you've been rejected. The second reason for loneliness is insecurity. That bout with insecurity. And, and we've, we've tried to, to make this known, especially to our men, working with our men, because a lot of our strongholds and a lot of our, our weaknesses and leadership in the home and outside the home is due to insecurity. Having um, no sense of a self-worth. They've never accepted themselves. They feel that nobody will accept them. Unconsciously, um, they just feel that nobody, nobody will approve. Nobody will accept them. So they build a wall around their lives so that nobody can, can hurt them. No one can, can disappoint them. And what we ought to be doing is building bridges um, with relationships with people, but instead we're building walls of icicles around ourselves to keep people out. And that's insecurity. A third reason for loneliness is deep sorrow. And again, that overlaps with there's things that have happened. But God's made us that way. And, and some of the reasons why the deep sorrow tends to turn into a problem of this chronic loneliness is because people don't learn how to grieve. It's one of the important things in a funeral service, and I try to help those that allow me to help them, is the importance of grieving. When I see people who, who refuse to go through the procedure and go through the process, I try to, to help. Any more today, people have just abandoned church almost altogether when it comes to a wedding, when it comes to a funeral. And they just look at this as the place where we're going to have it. You know, it's like we're going to have our family picnic. We're going to pick a park somewhere, and that's for our picnic. We're going to use it at a park. We're going to use our wedding. Uh, we're going to use the church over for our wedding. We're going to use it for a funeral service. And they don't recognize there's some significant needs that are there and some things that they need help with. Ultimately, it starts with God, and ultimately, it ends with God. But one of the glaring problems and needs at a funeral is that of grieving, learning how to grieve. And many, we're not going to look at the deceased body. We're not going to, we're not going to come together as a family. We're not going to cry. We're not going to do this. And, and you don't handle that right and grieve properly. You're going to be messed up for years to come. And we have a lot of messed up people simply because they never learned how to grieve. And one of the reasons they don't know how to grieve is because they lived a life. And when the deceased departs, they're filled with regret. And they don't know how to handle failure and grief. And, um, and so I, I feel like we, we want to help people 
to succeed and find liberty and freedom in the Lord. And part of it is we got to walk back and look at you didn't grieve well. You didn't help your children grieve. You didn't help your spouse grieve when they lost a loved one. And so those are the things of deep sorrow can cause one of the reasons of loneliness. But here's some effects of loneliness. Three different aspects of effects. One is the emotional side. Emotional side effects. One survey indicated that 80% of psychiatric patients sought help because of loneliness. And counselors will tell you that loneliness is a leading cause of suicide. I've read of people so lonely that they deliberately delayed payment on their bills so that the bill collector would call them just so that they would have somebody reaching out to them. One man put an ad in the Kansas paper and said, I will listen to you talk for 30 minutes without comment for $5. This was many years ago. Before long, he was receiving 20 calls a day. He was making $3,000 a month just listening to people. Why? Because people are lonely. Do you know what the world's solution is today for loneliness? What is it? All right, medication, hearing something over here. Alcohol, drugs, somebody else. Social media, that's where I'm going. Social media. And, and the alcohol and the drugs and all that, that is part of it. But social media, we're being taught social media solves the loneliness issue. Researchers say that Facebook use can lead to, however, a decline in happiness and satisfaction. You see on Facebook where all your friends are traveling with their friends and family and how much stuff they have. And in their post, everybody's smiling, everybody's happy, everybody's healthy, everybody appears wealthy. But what you don't see is how many times it took them to take that picture. Now you weren't smiling, we're going to take it again. Uh, no, look, look, smile, smile, smile at the camera. And I always say, why are they taking pictures? They need to be taking a video because it takes them five minutes to get one, one photo. And, and so we see them and we look at and start comparing that picture and that post to our life, what we see on Facebook. And it's no wonder that people feel lonely and unsuccessful. The mission of Facebook is to make the world more open and connected, according to them. But the latest research by the University of Michigan found that college-aged adults find that the more they use Facebook, the worse they feel. Why? Because it's like a drug. It's a, it's a, a, a kind of depressant. A recent study of Facebook users found that the amount of time you spend on the social network is related to how happy you feel throughout the day. But Facebook still is no substitute for FaceTime. Frankly, the internet can make loneliness worse. One expert on loneliness said that using social networking as a substitute for human contact can be like eating celery when you're hungry. It makes you feel better for a while, but it isn't really nourishment so you get hungrier in the long run. There are emotional side effects to this matter of loneliness, but there's also physical side effects. Loneliness is a series of health risks. I've already mentioned loneliness is deadly. Studies conclude that people without adequate social interaction are twice as likely to die prematurely. 
Reports indicate that loneliness increases the chances of diabetes, sleep disorders, high blood pressure. It weakens the immune systems and Alzheimer's disease. If those are not bad enough, other health risks associated with loneliness are depression, suicide, heart disease, strokes, increased stress levels, poor decision-making, alcoholism, drug abuse, and altered brain function. Not only does it have emotional side effects, physical side effects, but for us, we need to understand it does have spiritual side effects. Loneliness has a way of sifting your spiritual life. I've noticed over the years that when some people experience loneliness, they drop out of church. The very place they go to get strength and encouragement and hope. That's why our Bible fellowships are really designed the way they are. Because sitting in an auditorium like this on a Wednesday night and a Sunday morning at 1030 and Sunday evening at 5, it's not the same as Bible fellowship sitting in a, in a circular fashion looking at each other where there's interaction, and that is designed so that there can be some connection that can help erode that lonely factor. I believe the worst form of loneliness is actually a spiritual loneliness. It's when your life is lived apart from God. Life was never meant to be lived apart from God. Not, not in this life, nor in the life to come, but that's exactly what happens to everyone that rejects what Christ is trying to do in the midst of a time of drought or wilderness or loneliness. You say, Pastor, I'm not a Christ rejecter. I, I, I've just not decided to get all in. Well, to not get all in is actually to reject him. Jesus said, he who is not with me is against me. Proverbs 13, 15, the way of the transgressor is hard. And so, of course, there are side effects. There's emotional and physical and there's spiritual. I personally believe that one of the greatest causes of loneliness is a lack of true, real, intimate relationship with God. So I we put an emphasis upon our quiet time, our Christ walk journal, time with God. There's no greater loneliness than when you feel not only cut off from people, but also from the God who loves you. So take stock right now. If you're battling loneliness, ask yourself, why are you lonely? You might be married. You might have a house full of people. You might be working with a bunch of people. The, the, the amount of people around you is not the, the, uh, the way to deduct whether or not you're lonely. It's that perception, that feeling you might have. And if there are certain things that are causing you to be lonely that you can correct, you can change, you can deal with, and you can manage, then at least identify those. And this is what leads us to the most important point tonight. And that is defeating loneliness. We can defeat loneliness. We're thinking about this matter of lessons on loneliness and managing it. We defined it. We've described it. But let's defeat it. Loneliness is a void. It's a vacuum that needs to be filled and that lonely people want to fill. People will go to great lengths to do so. There was a man who went to see a psychiatrist one time and he asked the psychiatrist if he would give him a split personality. The doctor said, why do you want a split personality? He said, so I would have somebody to talk to. <laughs> Listen, you don't need a split personality to take care of loneliness. 
Not unless the other personality would give as much as the other part gives, but, but you don't need a split personality. But what you do need is the Lord Jesus Christ to get in on the scene of your life. Loneliness can be defeated through Jesus and it can only be defeated through Jesus. Don't forget that Jesus understands your loneliness. We read about his loneliness in Isaiah 53 and verse 3. We're told that he was despised and rejected by men. John 1 and verse 11, he came unto his own and his own received him not. Think of the lonely life that Jesus lived on this earth. Do you think that he felt lonely while praying in the garden of Gethsemane, having his closest friends desert him? Do you have a place to lay your head tonight? Jesus did not always. In John 8 and verse 20, he said, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus understands loneliness. When he died upon the cross, I've already mentioned, his cry was, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Tonight, you may feel lonely, but let me remind you of this truth. You're not alone. You're not. Hebrews 13, 5, God said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. John 14, verse 1, Jesus told his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. In Isaiah 41 and verse 10, God says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Psalm 23 and verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Deuteronomy 31 and verse 6. Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Jesus told his disciples, his church in Matthew 28 and verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Romans 8 verse 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written. Um, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yea, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me give you another one, Psalm 27 and verse 10. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. See, God extends an invitation to every lonely person here tonight. Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 3. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, 
Come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear, and come unto me. Hearken, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. You say, what is he saying? And I believe it was this passage that was preached in which Spurgeon heard and was saved. But what he's saying, what Isaiah is saying, why are you living on the substitutes of this world when you can have the real thing that Brother Baker was singing about? The real thing that reaches down, reaches deeper than anything else can get to and meets the greatest needs of your life. Why would you put up, why would you settle with substitutes? That's why babies have pacifiers, because it's a substitute. And they will many times gladly take that substitute. But God's people should never settle with a substitute when we can have the real thing. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 11 and verse 29. He says, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The answer to loneliness is Jesus. He's the only one who can give you eternal life and abundant life. Let me give you in closing a couple things to do in defeating loneliness. Number one, reach out to Jesus. Reach out to Jesus. How do I do that? Well, first of all, you've got to reach out to him to be your savior. If you've never been saved, you need to get saved. Uh, Dr. Childs and I were out the other day and, and listened to him as he talked to a nurse and a doctor asking them of their salvation. They both gave favorable responses. And their responses were, we know God. But that's not the same as being saved. And if you're going to find Jesus to be your answer and solution, he's not a way, he's the way. You're going to have to understand that he's not here so that you can have religion. Sometimes he lets you go through some deep waters, he says that. Sometimes he'll let you go through the fire, he says that. But he does so so that you could find him to be your solution and answer. But he's not here just to help out your bank account. He's not here to help out, help out your educational journey. He's not here just to help out your physical condition. Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. Every single person who comes into this world comes into this world lost, lost in need of a Savior. If you're going to reach out to Jesus, you've got to understand you don't reach out to him on your terms. You reach out to him on his terms and you need to confess you're a sinner. You're on your way to hell. Everyone has a birth date. There's a date in which you came into this world. You're given a birth date. Everyone needs a spiritual birth date. When you took Jesus to be your personal savior and you entered into his family, without that, he is God, 
but he's not your father. Not until he becomes your savior, not until Jesus who died, was buried and rose again, becomes your savior, will you have a heavenly father. Oh, there's a God, you'll meet him someday. But until you get saved, and you don't get saved multiple times, you don't, if Jesus died once, was buried once, was resurrected once, you were born into this world once, you only get saved once. And until that gets settled, you will have an appointment with God. But when you stand before God without Jesus as your Savior, it's not there to get a do-over. You'll be judged and cast into hell for all of eternity. And there's a God who loves you and a Jesus who died for you. Why don't you let him be your Savior? But once he becomes your Savior, then stay surrendered to the one who saves you. Why, why is it that people get saved and then we never see them again? They go off and do their own thing. That's because somehow they thought of Jesus to be just a ticket to get them to heaven. He's not a ticket. He is the King of kings, Lord of lords. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. But why don't you live that way? If worship on Sunday morning, the worship section, it is too much of a disruption to you to bow your knee before him now. Does it say more about the condition of your body or does it say more about the attitude of your heart? Spend time with him in prayer and Bible study. You say, I don't know how to do it. We'll be glad to help you. Not everybody who's been saved knows how to talk to the one who saved them. Spend time with him in prayer and Bible study. And keep short accounts with God. The moment you sin, get it right with God. You don't get saved again. I'm thankful for that. But you do need to agree with God. Don't live sideways, out of sorts with God. And then live the spirit-filled life, meaning I'm living in dependence upon the spirit of God who lives in me. So, Reach out to Jesus. It'll help you with your loneliness. But there's a second thing. Reach out to someone else. Reach out to someone else who's hurting worse than you are. Who may be lonelier than you are. Befriend them and be a blessing to them. Remember Elijah? He preached the message, a great message to King Ahab. And then he suffers because of his own ministry. And there's a drought and Elijah goes by the brook Kareth and he's there until the brook dries up. He was being sustained by the water and by the raven that would bring him food. But then the brook dries up. And I love the fact that Elijah did not leave just because things dried up. If we left every time a situation because it dries up, we're never going to see the miracles. <laughs> You're never going to see the miracle if you just leave when it dries up. He didn't leave when it dried up. He left only when God told him to leave. The burden rested upon God. And you know where God sent Elijah when there was a problem in his life? To a woman who had a greater problem than he had. Sent him to the widow woman of Zarephath. And there she was in a worse situation in her frame of mind and in her situation than Elijah. You know what Elijah did? He ministered to her. You want to find help in your loneliness? Reach out to Jesus and reach out to someone else. There are times where people who have been guests trying to come, we're trying to get people into church, and, um, and some have just uh, latched on, I think maybe, may mean well, but... 
it's not, you're not going to encourage someone when you're always talking about how discouraged you are. You, you, you need help with your discouragement? Get to someone who can help you. Not the person that's not walking with God. Not the person that's not committed to church. That's not the way to help them. And it's not the way to help you. When I say reach out to someone, it's not to unload your hee-haw, woe-is-me mentality. It's to get them to see, hey, you need to come and find out where the joy of the Lord, where, where, where you, what you see in my life where you can find it. Not trying to describe to them, I'm worse off than you are. If Elijah went to the widow woman and says, you're right, you are in pretty bad shape. I think you ought to just go ahead and finish signing your will and, um, and I'll say a prayer for you. I didn't do that. He just said, hey, feed me first. I'm gonna show you how miracles work. I'm gonna show you how to get under the spout where the glory of God comes out. Elijah, oh, he had some woe is me moments. He had some down in the mouth moments, but this wasn't one of them. And this widow woman saw the miracle of God because in Elijah, he had learned how to reach out to God and he learned how to reach out to somebody else. Have you ever thought about the fact that when you go and minister to someone else who is lonely, there are now two people who have their loneliness cured, you and that person. It's no new thing to be lonely. It comes to all of us sooner or later. If we try to retreat from it, we end up in a darker situation. But if we face it and focus on God, and we remember that there are a million others like us, if we try to reach out to comfort them, and not just simply protecting ourselves, we find in the end, we're no longer lonely. I'll close with this. Jackie Robinson, you, you may remember, was the first African-American to play in the major leagues. And he experienced a lot of persecution, isolation, opposition. People at that time were not open-minded before the civil rights movement, even though he was a good player. And there were many a times where he was booed and jeered by fans, even in his home uh, stadium at the Ebbets Field, the place where he played for his home team. He was booed many times. And one particular game that he struck out, and then as they took the field, he committed an infield error. And the people were booing and, and saying all kinds of vulgarities. And Jackie Robinson, he stood there alone on second base with his head down. And then one of the mo more popular players of that time, Pee Wee Reese, his teammate, he came over and put his arm around Jackie Robinson and he just stood there with Jackie. And as the crowd began to boo, his teammate, Pee Wee Reese, just stayed close by him with his arm around him. And when the crowd saw that Pee Wee Reese had his arm around Jackie Robinson, the boos, not only did they simmer down, but they stopped altogether. Because Pee Wee Reese was one that they loved so much. And they saw that by him standing with his arm around Jackie Robinson, he was simply saying, if you're going to boo him, you have to boo me as well. Well, my friend, I want you to know something. There are a lot of times you may feel like you're being booed. There are people who will boo you for your mistakes. They'll boo you because of your actions. Maybe you feel like you've been booed because of your inadequacies. The greatest booer of all time is Satan himself, the great accuser of the brethren. He's not going to let a time slip where he would have a chance to make you look bad and feel bad. 
But I want you to go away tonight with some good news. There is somebody who's come to your side. We have one who has come to put his arm around us. And he says if the world and the devil's going to boo you or boo him or her, they're going to have to boo Jesus as well. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he puts his arm around you and he's promised to never leave you nor forsake you. Proverbs 18, 24, there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Just a simple lesson tonight on loneliness. Let's stand together, please.